you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tadanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozanai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place you shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozanai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine or oil as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled upon it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree Let it be done with all diligence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, good morning. As uh, Sam said, my name is Zach, and it's uh, my joy to serve as student minister here at City on a Hill. I'm married to Hannah. I have two kids, Sonny and Zoe. Uh, and if I haven't met you yet, I really look forward to doing that sometime soon. Uh, I'm excited to jump into our text this morning. It's one of the uh, first major high points of the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. And there's two main points that I'd like to bring out. Um, hopefully that as we leave this morning, uh, we are walking out with these two things cemented in our heart. The first one, we need to trust God's word. And secondly, we need to act on God's word. But before we dive into that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, help us to hear your word today, to be transformed by it, so that we might look less like the world around us and more like your people. In your name we pray. Amen. And well, I'm sure that uh, many of us um, have had a project that never seems to have an end date. Uh, maybe you've got that going on at work right now, uh, the constant pressure of the unfinished job. Maybe you've built your own house before and you know the frustrations on waiting on council approvals, trade timelines, or the unavailability of materials. Maybe you're at school or college or uni right now and it feels like you've been studying for an age. I know I certainly feel that. Uh, the completion date just seems to keep on moving further and further away. How easy is it uh, when we face these hurdles to be distracted by things that we feel that we can get done in our own timing and in our own control? When we consider where these returned exiles are currently up to in our narrative, this might be the closest analogy uh, we can utilise. They journeyed back to their homeland full of passion and inspiration to complete the project of rebuilding the house of God, the temple, uh, of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, of rebuilding their city, their identity and their very ability to worship God as they had been instructed. Last Sunday, Stephen helped us to see that due to harsh, op harsh opposition, the rebuilding of the temple now lies dormant. And almost like going to see where your new house build is up to, like you might be in the car by yourself or with your partner or with someone and you might whisper to them like, I wonder what they've done this week. And then you get there and you realise they've done nothing. The house still looks the same as it did the last time you checked it out and you're just so frustrated by how slowly things are being done. Ezra chapter 4 uh, verse 24 tells us that when the, when the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This is where we ended last Sunday. This Sunday, our text fast forwards us to the time of the second year of Darius, king of Persia. It's been 10 years, 10 years of no progress on the project that they had journeyed back for. Imagine going to see your house where it's up to or a work project or something you've been working on for a long time and it's 10 years later and nothing has changed. If you've got your Bibles, when you open them up to Ezra chapter 5, the first uh, couple of verses here 
They tell us that now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that was in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, these opening verses don't actually tell us what was said by these prophets, but it was obviously really impacting. It obviously refueled, refired these, uh, these exiles who had come back and it got them back into the motivation needed to uh, kick off the rebuilding again. What's cool is we can actually see these words from Haggai and Zechariah. They are books in our Bibles. Uh, they're probably around the middle of your Bible somewhere. Um, now, Zechariah is a complicated piece of literature, but fortunately, Haggai is super simple. It is really easy to read. It really gives us just the backstory of what's going on. So I'm going to read the first chapter of that in just a moment. Uh, but just so that we can see that um, the book of Zechariah is also speaking to this, just with a whole bunch of added things like weird candles and all sorts of stuff going on um, that takes a lot of uh, work to make sense of. Let me read just a small portion from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. It says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. I'm actually going to, as I said, read this whole chapter. So it'd be worth following along. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you with one. Uh, you can go and see our welcome team after the service. Uh, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands and encourage you and help you to read it uh, that you might uh, get to know our God. Uh, let's read Haggai chapter 1 together. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore... Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labours. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So this is the word of God through his prophets that gives the people the fuel and passion to get back to their original task of rebuilding the house of God. And this first point, uh, sorry, this leads us to our first point for today. Like these people, we need to trust God's word. These people are powerfully reminded of their purpose and they are given the encouragement uh, that they need to get back to work, to the task of rebuilding the house of God. Ten years the people had become distracted from their task by their own possessions and comforts. They'd put all their efforts into fixing and repairing and beautifying the things that they could control. Now, while there isn't anything wrong with you and I working on our houses, working on our careers, family planning, or constructing the life that we would love to have, the problem arises when we, like these Jews, take our eyes off what we have been called to as the people of God, and we fix our eyes on working for our comforts, for our prosperity, and for our vision of what our lives should be. These people have been called to return and rebuild the house of God that he might be worshipped and glorified. But in the face of opposition and hardship, their eyes and their hands turned to their own things. How easy is it for you and I today to find ourselves in the same position? Now, the entire industry of marketing is all built around you and I being number one. It's all built around you and I living for ourselves, building ourselves, growing ourselves, perfecting ourselves, making ourselves the best possible selves that we can be. I am the most important person. Why don't you turn to your neighbour this morning and tell them that you are... No, don't do that. It won't be helpful. But we are told over and over again that we are the most important person on this planet and our entire life is about us getting what we want and what we think is right for us. But just like the people of God in their day, so we too have been called as God's people this day to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves and is first and foremost about glorifying God and seeing his name made known. We are called to trust God's word. Trust that what he says will come to pass will come to pass. Trust that his priorities are right and that they are the best priorities. It's already been said this morning, we've got a new prime minister of the country 
And it doesn't matter where you land on the political spectrum. The good news is God is still the same. And we still trust the same God. We don't have a different God because we have a different PM. We don't have a weaker God or a stronger God or an indifferent God or anything else God. We have the same God who is the same God for them, is the same God for you and I today. And we have the wonderful uh, privilege and joy of trusting him and trusting his word, what he says will happen. Interestingly for these people, uh, we see that at the same time as they get this encouragement and this, this re-passion to go back and start the rebuilding again, uh, opposition arises against them. If you've got your Bibles, come chapter 5, and we'll read verse 3 to 5 together. It says that at the same time, Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozanai, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus... Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. As soon as these people restart the building process, the opposition sparks up once again. And it's times like that where trusting in God's word is crucial. And we see here that the people actually do that. They trust in God's word. Verse 5 clearly says that because the eye of the Lord was on the elders of the Jews, they did not stop them while they awaited word from Darius. They trusted what God's word said and they kept going even in the face of that opposition. God was protecting them. They were trusting his word and they continued on in their work. Now, we've got to remember that Ezra is arranging this material. Uh, he's less concerned with chronology and more concerned with, uh, he's more concerned thematically that we can see what's happening and what's going on. And he's written it as an encouragement to those in hard opposition. He wants those who were working on the walls and the city foundations to hear the news of how this prior generation uh, that we're reading about today in chapter 5, even in the face of opposition, had great success because they trusted in the word of the Lord and worked diligently. The opposition they faced was real. Listen to how the letter uh, is written to King Darius from Tetanai and his associates, uh, verse 7 through to 10, and then I'm going to read 17. It says, They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius, the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them for their names, for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And then across to verse 17, Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. It's quite sneaky and spiteful, the language that's being used. And I wonder if that tone, if the under the skinness of it feels somewhat familiar. Because in a way, it's currently how secular society is treating the church. 
We aren't quite at the point of having our buildings torn down, but in just about every sector of society, the church is facing pressure to stop building the kingdom of God, to simply have our beliefs held quietly to ourselves and to no longer build anything or say anything that brings our identity as God's people into the light. Maybe you face it at work with uh, being shut down if you try to bring up any concept of God or church or religion. Uh, Maybe you face it in your social settings um, where you just feel like you can't bring those topics up at the expense of being shunned socially and no longer having the opportunity there. But the truth is, we are the people of God. We've been called from darkness to light that we might trust in God's word and obey God's word, which leads us to our second point this morning. We need to act on God's word. The first 12 verses of chapter 6 tell us how God, through the original decree of Cyrus, but also the additional decree of Darius, highly favours the people of God and their rebuilding efforts. Uh, Not only are the governors of the region instructed to ensure the integrity of the first decree, but they are also charged at the risk of their own lives and a pretty horrendous death to ensure the integrity of Darius's upgraded and supercharged decree. And this is fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah and Jeremiah, showing that God will use the riches of these foreign pagan nations to restore the nation of Israel. These Jews now have everything that they need. And from verse 13 of chapter 6, uh, we get to read the happy, need, happy news. Come to chapter 6, verse 13. It says, then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tetanai the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated this dedication of the house with joy. The temple is finished. The temple is dedicated And in the following verses, we even read that they celebrated the Passover for uh, the first time in a very long time. They trusted God's word and they acted on God's word. Now, if you and I are to do the same today, it begs the question, what are we building? I think at this point, the most helpful thing that we can do is get a clear and helpful understanding of the unfolding biblical story of the temple. Uh, Now, I'm not going to start a sermon from Genesis, but uh, in a non-comprehensive way, I just want to take us on a bit of a journey throughout uh, the the narrative and the history of Scripture uh, to show us what has happened with the temple. The concept of the temple begins right back in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. It was the place that God dwelt with Adam and Eve. Remember that word, dwelt. Then sin enters the world and they are banished from the garden, from the temple. Uh, 
We fast forward to the Exodus where God instructs the building of the tabernacle like a semi-permanent space for uh, the presence of God where he once again dwelt with his people. Then later, King David designs a permanent temple and his son, King Solomon, builds it. God's presence dwells there. But unfortunately, that didn't last very long because the people start ignoring God's presence. They ignore his word and they start focusing once again on their own desires, on their own visions for their lives. God disciplines Israel through the prevailing forces of the Babylonians who destroy the temple and they take the people into captivity. Some of them return after 70 years to start rebuilding and that's where we are right now in our Ezra Nehemiah series. Uh, These people who have returned to start the rebuilding. But this rebuilding doesn't accomplish completely what it was meant to. The people sin again. There's more destruction, and that becomes the pattern over and over again, all the way until we get to Jesus, where something incredible happens. When Jesus comes to earth, John tells us in uh, John 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word for dwelt is the same Greek equivalent word for tabernacle used back in Moses' day. It's the place where God's presence dwelt. It was in that tabernacle in Moses' day and now it's in the very incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth and dwelt among us. If you're here with us this morning and you don't yet trust in Jesus for your salvation, firstly, we are really glad that you are here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, It's good that you're here today because you get to hear that Jesus has fixed our problem of being separated from him because of our sin and our failure to live before a holy God. God fixed that problem through sending his son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life according to God's way, according to God's word. He perfectly trusted God's word and acted on God's word. Jesus took all of our sin upon himself on the cross, paying the penalty that you and I deserved to pay so that we might have life instead. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving his victory over sin and death. His gracious sacrifice means that everyone who trusts in him can be brought back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can once again worship him and glorify him as we were made to. If you're a Christian this morning, This reminder of the gospel and summary of the temple throughout scripture should be of great encouragement to us because the Bible goes on to tell us a little bit later that after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended to the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in all that place their trust in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6 Uh, the first part of verse 19, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? 
Um, at college and in Greek class, we've had to learn how to tell the difference between a singular you and a plural you in Greek. Uh, and the way we've been taught to, I guess, articulate um, the difference, so we, you can say a you for a single, a singular you, but we've been taught to uh, sort of lean on the stereotypical deep South American y'all when we want to talk in a plural you. Uh, if you're a bit more bogan, you can go with yous. Uh, and that'll also suffice. Uh, but it's a helpful way to realise that what Paul, the wording that Paul is using there, uh, or data, it's actually a second person plural that Paul utilises. Uh, but the nicest way to translate that into English is to simply say, uh, do you not know? Um, a less nice way and a more bogan way to say, uh, don't use know that yous are the temple of God. That's what it's saying. It's, it's so helpful to see that he's, he's not necessarily pointing out individuals. He's talking to the church, to all of us as the collective temple of God. So seeing this, are we then meant to go and build an actual building or temple? Well, a building or a temple. Well, firstly, No. We are not meant to go and build a physical temple. We're not called to use our hands uh, or our resources to go and purchase land or get materials together and literally build a building uh, like this. But secondly, yes, we should be building a temple. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus initiates the church. He's called out people from every tribe, tongue, and nation with the purpose of worshipping him and glorifying him and taking the message of his gospel to every corner of the world. If you're a Christian here today, this is your purpose. This is our purpose. So what does it look like to build this New Testament temple of God? If all of us are collectively that temple, how do we build it? If we're not getting together to build a physical building, what are we building? And how do we build this New Testament church? Here's some quick thoughts. One, we do not neglect the gathering together of the saints, which means we come as often as we can to Sundays. We come as often as we can to gospel communities uh, where in those rooms, we're in those spaces, we are with one another, we're singing together, praying together, hearing God's word uh, and hearing it explained together. We put ourselves in that environment as often as we can possibly do it. We use our gifts to love and serve one another. We pray together. We read the Bible together. We confess our sins and our hardships to one another. We genuinely check in with our brothers and sisters more than just that question of, how are you going? Yeah, I'm all right. Good. Let's move on to a more interesting topic. We have genuine conversations, really wanting to know how we are doing, how we can love and support each other. And we prioritize the building up of one another and the mission of the gospel going out into all the world before we prioritize the building of our own lives our own houses or our own careers or our own visions of our lives. Now, this morning isn't a recruitment drive, but maybe it would be a good starting place for many of us. 
If you don't currently serve in some way on a Sunday or contribute to a gospel community or help out on Thursday mornings, caring for those sleeping rough or giving of your time and your money and your energy to love and serve this body of faith, this family of believers, I'd like to encourage you to hear God's word today. How are you being a part of building the temple of God? building the people in this room, building the people that are across our three services. How are you and I investing our time, our energy, our resources, our gifts and our talents to love and serve one another? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all about the Sunday service. We've got plenty of opportunities though. Kids Church needs a whole bunch of more people who can be in there and they're getting alongside of our little ones and teaching them the good news of Jesus. Uh, We need people in tech, in music, in welcoming, in logistics. There are so many spaces across our morning services and our evening service for us to serve and use our gifts and talents to love uh, and serve one another. But also, what are we doing in our gospel communities? Now, is it more than just I'm turning up, I sort of say my two thoughts and then I get out, but how are we contributing? Are we, are we offering our house to host? Are we getting ourselves equipped to help lead gospel communities? Are we uh, bringing food along when we're invited to uh, our gospel community? How are we contributing and loving and serving each other in those spaces? You and I were brought from darkness to life for so much more than just simply going to heaven. We were rescued by God's sheer grace so that we might join in the mission of building God's temple across this globe for his glory and his honour. As I invite the band up, really, in summary, we need to ask, what has our hearts? What holds our hearts? What holds our priorities? Is it those things that our hearts and minds are so easily distracted by when we lose sight of God's bigger picture? Maybe today through this word, the Holy Spirit is tapping us on the shoulder and saying, place your priority on my house, on the coming of my kingdom. Now, this doesn't mean that we've got to go and quit our jobs tomorrow, sell our homes, give up the the great Australian dream. It doesn't mean we stop asking God for a spouse or kids or healing or help, but it means that we make God's ways our ways. means that we focus on God's plan of redemption. We make that our priority. We look to build His kingdom first and we trust that He, in His timing, and sovereign wisdom will add to us what He wills. We trust God's Word. He said that He will build His church, and He will. And we act on God's Word. We love and serve one another to keep pointing each other to the love, grace, and mercy of our Saviour King, Jesus. We keep building the temple of God together as we encourage one another, as we maybe sometimes even rebuke one another in love and we be genuine with each other, pointing each other to Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning.
our loving Father in heaven. Thank you that you desire to dwell with us, that you love us and long to be with us. We know that we are unworthy of your love and nearness. Father, we are thankful that through your Son, Jesus, we can be brought near, filled with your Spirit and brought into your family to be your temple in this world. Please help us to keep our hearts, our minds and our hands committed to your mission, to your plan for our lives, your plan for this church and for this world. We ask this in your name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.